I've listened to Valentine by Snail Mail for years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Happy Valentine's Day. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me is Connor. Hello. Why did you say it like that? What are you doing? I'm slow today. Oh, I know what this is. This is a snail mail bit. What? No, sorry, this was a sloth bit. Wait, are we doing snail mail? Yeah, because oh. yeah, snail mail is the artist, and you're going slow like a snail. Oh, oh, I was trying to get a sloth thing going, but that's way better. Oh, well, thank you for admitting my joke was way better. How about that Grammy episode last week? Wasn't that special? Wasn't that fun? So Grammy, so special. Yeah, I know. I sure enjoyed it. One more congratulations to the winner. We definitely know who you are. Not recording this episode before that one at all. I guess, I mean, we didn't record this episode before that one at all. Well, now I'm lying to the audience. I don't like that. Yeah, that's the mixtaper's job. Yeah. He has a monopoly on lying. Maybe we just found out who won the Grammy by snail mail, so it got here late. Oh, I like that. Yeah. This is another kind of special episode, a little bit. Just It's another week where I picked the album, ironically, because of what week it is. It's Valentine's week. You know, Valentine's Day was two days ago. I couldn't put this episode out before Valentine's Day because of the Grammy special, so I just put it here after Valentine's Day. But it's still, you know, Valentine-themed. Well, it's kind of thematic. Thematic? You're usually late. What? And so, you know, again, snail mail comes late, so... Oh, I think you're right. You know what? This is a fitting snail mail kind of day. I don't know. It's a snail kind of day. What do you know about snail mail? What don't I know? That is your code word for you know nothing, which I figured. No, no, no. I know everything. Ask me a question about snail mail. I got an answer. Any question? Any question. I got an answer. How many days did she spend in rehab in 2020? None. Okay, so you have wrong answers. (laughs) Well, I didn't say I had right answers, did I? No, you didn't. That's true. I found the first fact that was in my personal notes that you probably didn't have access to on the shared document because I knew otherwise what was going to happen is you were just going to read my notes. I almost went and opened your personal document, but it would have shown me as in it. So I would have been cheating. Yeah, and I'm not a cheater. No, not on Valentine's Day of all days. Of all days. Never, never. But of all days today, no cheating. So I can't help then I guess I'm doing it by myself. (laughs) Uh, I can't help when I think about snail mail, but think about the stupid, like, what-if scenario of, like, you're, like, immortal and have all this money, but there's a snail always trying to kill you. Oh. By touching you. That, like, thing. Hypothetical internet question. Yeah. How, How would you take care of the snail? You get to keep all the money, but a snail is constantly chasing you. Is it worth it? Yeah. And people, like, try to come up with how they would, like, avoid the snail. And deal with a persistent snail. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it makes sense that it calls that to mind. Snail Mail is actually the solo project slash stage name, little pseudonym, of Lindsay Jordan. And the reason she picks Snail Mail is kind of the same thing you're getting at right now, where people don't talk about snail mail a lot. Oh, I thought you were about to say the stupid snail hypothetical. No. I was like, that was the last thing I was talking about. No, it's not that specifically. (laughs) It's not that specifically. It's just that it's it's an expression that's fallen out of use. Yeah. She said, I just don't hear the phrase thrown around a lot by young people. So it was one of those things that popped into my head, and I thought it was cute. And it rhymes. We love a rhyming name. Yeah, I love a good rhyme. Although I can't think of any other rhyming 
rhyming names off the top of my head. What? You can't think of any other rhyming names? No, just that are related to the podcast. For me to say we love rhyming names, I have no proof of that. What about Millie Vanilli or Leonard Skinner? Well, we did. You're right. Leonard Skinner, we did do. That's true. ACDC? That one's kind of cheating. That's not a rhyme. Chumbawamba? Oh, we did talk about Chumbawamba. Okay. Yeah, we love rhyming names. Have we talked about Ram Jam? We haven't talked about Ram Jam yet. No, we did talk about Black Betty and Ram Jam on our bracket elimination. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So there you go, Ram Jam. The rhyming names keep coming. And they don't stop coming. Anyway, Lindsay Jordan, snail mail. Lindsay Jordan was born in a suburb of Baltimore, Maryland in 1999. She started playing guitar when she was five. What year? 1999. Just checking. Checking why? Make sure you kept your story straight. Kept my story straight that she was born in 1999? Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, that's true. Just had to make sure. Fact check and all that. Sure. She started playing guitar when she was five. She was a big fan of punk music and especially of Paramore, who she saw live when she was eight. Brag about it. 2007. Fact check. Just keeping my story straight. That was in 2007. Brag about it. I am jealous. I know. I want to see Paramore live in 2007, but I mean, I missed the boat. Dude, 2008, Connor wasn't even born yet. That's true. <laughs> but that Paramore show... As cool as it would have been, was definitely a pivotal moment for her that really inspired her to want to start a band and really get into music. So she joined her church band and her school jazz band, really honed her skills. And by age 12, she was writing her first songs and playing shows all around Baltimore. After high school, she decided to full-time dive straight into music and put out a self-made EP called Sticky with an eye. Well, with two eyes, just one eye is at the end. That came out in 2015, and shortly thereafter, Snail Mail, also with two eyes, played a festival alongside the band Priests, who were the ones that connected her with their label. Then came another EP and her first full-length album, Lush, which is one of my biggest musical regrets in a certain sense. What does that mean? That means, so back in 2018 when Lush came out, the way that I found music was I would just hop onto iTunes and just like look at the iTunes store and see album covers that I liked or what was new or trending or cool. And I would like listen to it, go seek it out if I liked the cover and like the previews and stuff. And I saw Lush and I think I previewed some of the tracks on Lush and I was like, ooh, this would be a cool one to listen to if I had time, you know, to fit it on an albums of the month in 2018, mm. so, so long ago. And I didn't. And I still haven't, to be honest. It's an ongoing musical regret that I haven't listened to it yet. Because what if I was there from the start? What if I what if I knew Snail Mail from day one? And now I knew her from like year three. And that's not as cool. Yeah, that really isn't as cool. <laughs> I know. I feel like I just jumped on the bandwagon. I could have been here from day one. It's my regret. But after Lush came out, she toured all over the US and internationally in Canada, New Zealand, and Australia in the land down under. And then in 2021... Right? She put out her second full-length record, Today's Subject, and Two Days Ago's Holiday, Valentine. She said, Valentine is very much a post-exploration of real love and loss. A big thing that I'm exploring on the record are my own faults and what's gotten me into these heartbreaking situations, but also the discovery that love is ultimately between a person and a person and never a person and a concept. So that's like the mindset that she's got as she's constructing Valentine. I really, really, really like the vibe of Valentine. I have quite a few albums kind of like this on the ranking list that 
soft, like gritty, emo, indie rock kind of thing. I mean, we kind of touched it with Phoebe Bridgers 30-some episodes ago, but I've got a few more like this that I really, really like. Mm. As far as her influences go, musically, of course she cites people like Haley Williams of Paramore, uh, Sufjan Stevens, and Avril Lavigne, who I know you're familiar with. Whoa! Elliot Smith, Fiona Apple, and obviously a lot more. So if you know what those artists kind of do and the music that they make, you can kind of pinpoint and triangulate where she lies in the middle of all of them. After Lush, when she was first starting to work on a sophomore album, you know, she was so busy with touring and all kinds of things, she couldn't find enough time to get away and write. Uh. But when the pandemic lockdowns happened, well, suddenly she had plenty of time on her hands, nothing to do but write. She was living at home with her parents again, which she said, quote, got the good art out of me. I just felt like I was doing it for fun again. Like when I was working on Lush, coming home from high school every day and writing for a while, sitting on the same carpet was pretty liberating for me. And I think that's really interesting. To come back to the same place with such a vastly different perspective gives you such insight into, I guess, the emotions and the things that you're writing about. Not to mention all the musical experience she's gained along the way. But to that point, too, this entire album is a solo written effort, which I always love. I mean, you got to respect that a little bit because you really get this window into somebody when they do this, right? This is all her words and all her music and all her feelings. There's no outside input, you know? She also co-produced it, too, alongside Brad Cook. So it's obviously very personal. Got that degree of intimacy to it. Sure. Also, 15 other musicians are credited in the liner notes of Valentine, but 10 are just extra string instruments on Mia. So five extra musicians elsewhere on the album. Also, I have to tell you, I hate to be the one to break it to you. I think you maybe listened to this album wrong. Impossible. Impossible? Yeah, how did I listen to it wrong? You listened to it wrong because where'd you listen to this? Did you listen to it in the car? Did you listen to it at work? Did you listen to it, I don't know, through headphones, in bed? Like, what What was your listening method? With my bones. You listened, sorry, what, with your bones? <laughs> yeah. Go on. No, that was it. Well, I'm pretty sure that's the wrong way to listen to anything, so. I, I mean, I did it in my bedroom. Okay. With a lamp on. Oh. With my bones. Weird. Well, you may have gotten closer to the intended way to listen to this album than you think. Snail Mail said, after making the record, she said, Making this album has been the greatest challenge of my life thus far. I put my entire heart and soul into every last detail. So, I strongly suggest, for the optimal listening experience, you listen, most importantly, in order. But, I also suggest doing so in a room or cave, lit only by an old oil lamp, emitting just enough light so that you may read the lyrics as you listen. Oh. Uh-huh. Then, at the bitter end of track 10, comforted only by the sound of your own breath, you will be left alone to process what you just heard, exactly as it was intended to be heard. Wild. I know. So you got the lamp thing right. Yeah. And I got the bones thing right. That's not in here. <laughs> I don't think you did get that right. So I listened to it with my inductive headphones. Oh. Which are like the ones that don't go in your ear, but they like go on the like side of your heads or whatever. I thought about that. I wasn't sure if that's what you were going for or not. Yeah, I just want to say it in the weirdest way possible. Do you do that when you listen to a lot of music? Does that change the quality of it? Uh, not really. It doesn't really sound any different than uh, listening to a normal headphones. Huh, interesting. Except I can hear more like background noise. Yeah, that's a really intense 
image for how to listen to an album. Yeah, it, it is. I think it's a perfect descriptor for how this album feels and sounds, but wow, I, I guess I would never think of that. We gotta go find a cave. Maybe we should find a cave full of snails. Done. And listen to this album like that and see if we like it better or worse. Or if it, like, hits different. Add it to spin it on the road. It's to-do list. <laughs> go to a cave and listen to Valentine. Yep. I'm all for it. When was she born again? Fact check. 1999. Ooh, okay, okay. I get the feeling this is gonna, like, come up in Factor Spin or something, and you're gonna be like, actually, she was born in 1964, and this is like, some <laughs> different thing. I don't know. Either way, I don't think we're done with that yet. It's weird to think about that she's so young. Yeah, it is. Uh, isn't it? So, so successful. Like, we have not done that many artists younger than us. No, not many. A few. Like, one hand a few. But I'll be honest... I've heard a lot of albums by artists younger than us that I don't love. Yeah. And then there's this one. <laughs> this is like a, its own kind of beast. And it's also, I gotta, I mean, it's not like she's that much younger than us, but still. I mean, yeah, she's not that much younger, but still younger. Right. Like at my current age, at my current level, I can't imagine putting out this album. Like, think about it. You said she was signed at like 17 or something like that. Well, her first EP came out in 2015, which is when she would have been 16. Yeah, but I think she was officially signed when she was 17. Probably. Her first album came out in 2018. She was 19. It's only a couple years. Think about what you were doing when you were I know. that age. Not this. <laughs> it is impressive. I can't wait till we do an artist that like got discovered while this podcast already existed. So then the answer to that question would be, well, this. <laughs> we were recording this episode. Yeah, <laughs> we can pinpoint exactly where we were. Yeah. Well, I'm impressed. You're impressed. And critics were also super impressed. The album was a huge critical hit. Valentine got a Metacritic score of 88. It also got a lot, a lot of nods as one of the best records of 2021. Rolling Stone put it at number 32, Pitchfork at 15, Entertainment Weekly at number 6, The New York Times and USA Today both put it at number 3, which is remarkable. And I can't even believe, like, this is an album that you, and I'm sure plenty of other people, just haven't even heard of. And it was one of the best albums of the year, like, two years ago. That is crazy. It's shocking to me. But I hope you're hearing about it now. And if you're not, turn the volume up. Why are you having so quiet? Because they're listening with their bones. Put it in your ears. No, the bone. The bones are good. Have you ever tried inductive headphones? Not for long. I just, like, tried on a pair in a Brookstone before they went out of business. Fair enough. They seem cool. I'm content with listening by Lamplight in a Cave. So there. Valentine also did pretty well on the charts, by the way. Peaked at number 61 on the Billboard 200, but it climbed to number 6 on the Top Rock Albums chart. It also hit number 35 in the UK and Australia, number 7 in Scotland. Pretty reputable. Also, sad trivia tidbit, she was gonna tour both the US and the UK in support of Valentine after its release, but... She had to cancel after she discovered that she had to have surgery for polyps on her vocal cords, which is no good. But the surgery went well. She recovered. And that's where she's at today. You know, post-Valentine, she's just played at Coachella. Uh, in late 2023, she did actually put out a little EP of demo tracks that got cut from Valentine. Oh. Yeah, well, I guess it's there's one track that's not on Valentine. The Valentine singles, the people who didn't make the cut. Yeah, yeah, the non-Valentine's Day tracks. I also believe that Snail Mail launched a Valentine Fest event in Baltimore. I don't know if that's happened this year, 2024, just recently, but it did at least happen in 2022. Anyway, super cool to have your own event. As far as accolades go, obviously still a new career. She was only born in 1999, so plenty of accolades to come, but a few major nods already, including four Libera Award nominations for 
best rock record, best breakthrough artist, record of the year, and best alternative rock record. And there's an absolutely huge award that I just learned about when I was prepping for the episode. In 2023, Rolling Stone named Lindsey Jordan the 242nd greatest guitarist of all time. Whoa. Yeah, and I'm not contesting that because frankly, I just don't know enough to know. But I really don't think that Valentine shows that off in the slightest. Like if you told me this album is by the 242nd greatest guitarist in the world, I wouldn't expect it to be like it is. Hmm. But that's not to detract either from the achievement or from the album. That's just a really massive award. They only give out one of those. It's true. There's only one 242nd greatest guitarist of all time. And she's it. I mean, you know who's right above her? I don't actually. Keith Urban. Really? Wow. That blows my mind. I really love Keith Urban's guitar playing. Do you know who else is around her? Tell me more. Around her that you would know. Yeah, who's she better than? Who's she above? Andy Summers is 250. Mm. Ricky Wilson's 247. Paul S- Simon, 246. Paul Simon. Wow. A lot of names I don't recognize that maybe you would. Probably. But that's what I got. That's snail mail. That's Lindsey Jordan in the nutshell. Now it's time for the mixtaper to come and ruin my week by telling me true facts or blatant lies about snail mail, and I have to guess which is which. And if this goes anything like Gopher Day went, I expect we'll have at least one spin about snails. But we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> I'm worried about it, but I'm on the lookout for it. So maybe I'll be prepared. Like a Boy Scout. Yeah. A Boy Scout who knows his snails. Bring out the mixtaper. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. Hello, mixtaper. How you doing? I am dastardly. Are you just repeating the snail bit that Connor tried to do? What? No, Connor did a snail bit? No, I'm doing a sloth bit. No, okay, but that doesn't... Why would you do that? You hate sloths. Trying to conquer my fear. Okay, sure. Mixtaper, I have to be honest, I don't know if I know a lot about snail mail in terms of, like, your caliber of information. Okay. I'm afraid. You should be. I know. Starting up. Okay, up first. She was born in 1969. (laughs) I knew it! I knew it! Kidding, kidding. I knew this was gonna happen. I just heard you tell Kata that earlier. Oh. She has weird teeth. She has weird teeth? Yep. That seems like less of a fact and more like a situation where you're making a commentary about her teeth. <laughs> yeah, well, that might be the case. <laughs> Does she say that she has weird teeth or are you calling her teeth weird? Because that's kind of mean. I mean, it was under what's a weird fact about you section of an interview. Okay. So so her weird fact about herself is that she has weird teeth. Well, it's, well that she has extra strong teeth. Oh, extra strong? (laughs) That's a good kind of weird to have, I guess. They're not strange so much as they're just different than most teeth. What do you mean strong teeth? How strong? Uh, Resilient, maybe. Resilient? In one dentist visit, she broke three dental drill bits. Wow, what? Oh, that is resilient. She broke three dental drills with her teeth. How often does that happen to normal teethed people? What a sentence. I mean, it's never happened to me. I think I got normal teeth. How so. often do your teeth get drilled? <laughs> uh, a couple times I've had to like get the drill in there. Mm, fair enough. Why? Does she know why her teeth are super strong? She like drink a lot of milk and build up that <laughs> calcium? All the milk that's supposed to strengthen your bones just went right to the teeth. <laughs> just went straight to the teeth. I mean, they're the only bone that gets it directly, right? The rest of the bones got to like get it from the body filtering it or whatever, right? I mean, the, the teeth get it straight on. The teeth get to take a bath in it. Yeah. Although I don't think that's how it gets into the teeth. I don't think teeth have properties of absorption. <laughs> you don't know you're not a teeth 
expert. No, that's true. But no, I don't know if she knows why they're stronger. I don't know if there really is an answer to that question. <laughs> I don't know if I, yeah. How would you know? Really? Um, so she breaks three dental drills. What's the dentist say? I mean, he can't charge her for that, right? Probably they could. They're probably not. That's probably just uh, an operational expense. Probably can't charge for that. I mean, the first one I wouldn't charge for. The second one, maybe. <laughs> but the third one? I mean, like, come, come on. on. <laughs> You've got to be doing something. Like, what are you hiding? <laughs> Is one of your teeth made of quartz? Like, what's the deal? Mm. Are there any other ways that her teeth are weird? Or are they just strong? Just strong. Okay. You know, one thing I, I do kind of know about snail mail is that she's a hockey player okay or she was at one point hockey players are notorious for teeth problems and she doesn't seem to have any teeth problems which would reinforce this fact however here's the other problem i'm having and forgive me okay snails also have weird teeth oh they i guess they do do they they have a lot of teeth i guess that's weird yeah they do yeah and they're weird and i would (laughs) guess and i don't know I could totally see this fact starting off as you doing research into snail's teeth Mm. and realizing that they're so hard for what they are, like in proportion to their size or what a snail can weigh. Also, why is this a random thing you know about snails? (laughs) How is this something you know about snails? But whatever, continue. Well, snails have to have weird teeth, right? They don't have human teeth. They have snail teeth. Uh, Okay. I think this is a spin. Okay. You think this is a... I mean, the drill bit thing was really specific, which is good on you, but I... I can't shake the weird teeth of a snail. Okay. I think this is a spin, and I think you base it on snail teeth. This is. Is that you're locked in? Yeah. This is a true fact. Oh, no. <laughs> She's got strong teeth. Just really think that I really went all out on this snail bit, huh? I'm not that predictable. You can't tell me you wouldn't do it because you did it for the Gopher Day episode just two weeks ago. And also, I'm looking up images of snail teeth, and they are really weird. Okay. Show me one. Show me one. Like, exceptionally weird. Like, to the point where it would not be surprising if you just said... Oh, gosh. That's what their teeth look like? Yes. And that's that's what I said. Snails notably, like, have weird teeth. They're known for how weird their teeth are. Weird. So it didn't seem like that much of a stretch to me. I'm not ashamed of missing that one because snails, man. <laughs> I know elevator brands and snail teeth. Well, you've sure given me something to chew on while I await your next fact. She got really into paper making. Really into paper making? Mm-hmm. Like with pulp and like from scratch? Yeah, from scratch. Interesting. When? Uh, during COVID. It was our COVID hobby. Mm, okay. That's a very COVID hobby type thing to do. <laughs> what inspired her to do this? What made her go, yes, this is what I want to pursue as my little hobby right now? I don't know. Okay. You said she got really into it. What's the degree of into it that she was? She had like a whole setup, like kit setup thing to make paper. Mm. Did she use it for anything? To make paper. No, but did she use the paper that she made for anything? Oh. Not the paper making kit. Whoops. I think that's pretty <laughs> self-explanatory. Well, probably I would. I mean, what is she just going to have a bunch of paper line? What if she? What if she wrote songs on it? I could see it. I could. That'd be cool. Songs to be read in a cave by lamplight. <laughs> but yeah, she she talked about how you have to like keep pressing the pulp down and like beat it into a watery clump. Ew. It sounds gross. I'm not so familiar with the process, but it sounds gross. You use like a screen to like almost sieve the gunk off of it so that it's left with just what you want. I'm paraphrasing the the interview but yeah that's interesting Hmm. i don't even know what to think about this i'm so in my own head (laughs) 
I know you're like, I'm going to be on the lookout for snail-related facts. And now every single fact, you're like, how can I make this about snails? Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's true. And I'm thinking like silkworms are out there that make products that can be turned into other things. Those aren't snails? What? <laughs> They're not snails, but I'm, I'm getting there. I'm saying I don't know of any, but what if there is a snail that produces a product that can be turned into paper? I'm going to feel really stupid if I call this a fact and it's a snail thing. Oh, and that'd be funny because it'd be literal snail mail if you made paper out of a snail. Oh, it would. Yeah. Anyway, that's just your general reaction to that has kind of talked me out of it a little bit. I'm going to say that this one is a spin, but for other reasons. Spin, but for other reasons. What other reasons? I don't know. It just seems like a messy, complicated hobby. And you've brought up a lot of other fake hobbies on this podcast before, like chainsaw carving and other things. Also brought up some real hobbies, but okay. Well, that's true. I just, I'm going to say a spin. I'm going to say a spin, but I don't think it's a snail-related thing, Mm. just to be clear. Okay. This is a spin. Yay! (laughs) I was right. Oh, man. It's a, that's an intense, messy, almost useless hobby. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. Hobbies are hobbies, and if you like it, like it, and do it if you do it, but... You can get a paper-making kit for $20 from Target. Interesting. You can make your own snail mail out of it. Yeah. Where'd this come from? Why did you think of this? Why not? Why not? Sure. Sometimes I come up with weird ideas. She almost died. She almost died. That's a pretty dramatic fact. How'd she almost die? As a baby. She almost died as a baby? Yeah. When was she born? 1999. Good. That was a test. How did she almost die as a baby? Seems dark. Well, she had to have baby surgery. Baby surgery. On what? Or for what? Her spinal cord. Ooh. What happened to her spinal cord that was like deadly? She had, and I'm so sorry for this pronunciation, lipomyelomeningocele. When you say things like that, it's like I have to put together a puzzle and remember the syllable that came before it. It says right here, pronounced lipo, L-I-P-O, my, E-L-O, which I'm pronouncing as L-O, men, in, go, Seal. So lipo my elo min in go seal. Yeah, that, you know. What is that? It's a birth defect that affects a child's backbone. Okay. Yes, I did already kind of get all that information from things you previously said. Oh, God. I just laughed so hard I gave myself a bit of vertigo right there. That was weird. My head likes. <laughs> Careful, you might give yourself a lip and that made go, wow, must be really funny today. Apparently, so this is what's interesting about it. It happens to one in every 10,000 babies in the U.S. That seems decently common. And is slightly more common in girls. What are the side effects of it? Like, what's the almost died part about it? If left untreated, it, like, attaches itself to the spinal cord and eventually pulls it apart. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so if one in 10,000 people in the U.S. has this, how often... It's usually caught early enough that it's easily removed, but hers was not caught till six weeks after she was born. Oh, so that, yeah, sounds like it would complicate things. But it didn't. Sounds like they got it okay, since she's alive. This is hard. Medical things are tricky. Do you think this could be in any way related to her teeth? Oh, maybe all the, like, strength of her teeth. Like, that's why her spinal cord was so weak. (laughs) Yeah, all the good stuff went to the teeth. ridiculous it is so i know at least i'm comforted in this fact by knowing that snails don't have backbones so it can't be as true as you've presented it if it's about a snail sure but they have shells oh my god (laughs) (laughs) snails have a very prominent bony feature on their back i don't know i think this one is 
a fact. I'm going to go with true on this. What's it called again? Lipomyelomeningocele. Nice. I'm going to look up how that's actually pronounced after this and see how close you were. But I'm calling it true. I'm going to say she had that baby surgery and they fixed it. This is a spin. Wow. Probably. I mean, I guess she could have, and I just don't know. But as far as I'm aware, this is a spin. Okay, okay. It's a spin. So yeah. you just know about the disease and just said it. Yeah. It's hard to find stuff about this artist. And the few f- interesting things I did find you also had in your rundown or just knew. Uh, <laughs> mm. I had to go into the vault of spins and dust off some old ones that I hadn't used. I see. I like it. That's fun. I'm surprised you picked a disease that you can't even come close to pronouncing. Well, I thought that would add a little credibility to it. It would if you weren't bad at pronouncing every disease that you tried to say. That's true. I don't think there's a safe one out there. And now for the final fact. The final fact in the classic four. What is our fourth potentially true or potentially about a snail snail mail fact? You're going to hate me. Uh Uh-huh. Saved the best for last. I'm sure you did. She doesn't like salty foods. Oh, Yeah. (laughs) I thought this would come up. I thought some joke about salt would come up, maybe even before Factor Spin, that Connor would do it. I knew this would be here. She doesn't like salty foods. Why on earth not? Doesn't like them. They're salty. I don't know. Sure. (laughs) So this was in a So How Was Your Decade Snail Mail article posted in December 20th of 2019, where they sat down with Lindsay Jordan and asked her a bunch of different questions. Okay. What are some of the other questions? Uh, My favorite album of the 2010s. What else? My favorite song in the 2010s. Mm-hmm. The craziest thing that happened to me in the 2010s. Okay. The best new slang term of the decade. Of the 2010s? Ooh, that's a hard call. Yeah. How old is YOLO? And then we get out of the 2010s questions into just, what's your favorite book? What's something cool that nobody knows about you? What is something cool that nobody knows about her? Well, you mentioned that she played ice hockey. I did, yeah. But that she also, she a lot of people know that, but she said she actually got really into roller skating in roller derby. Oh, that's fun. She said she uh, was really practicing to become a roller derby player and then got signed at 17 and to do music and just was like all that training was for nothing but anyway that's why you knew that Uh (laughs) uh-huh the article clearly exists yeah what question is the salty foods thing under what's your favorite food sure what does she say is her favorite food french fries but with no salt Mmm. you had me for a minute there i was about to be like aha aha what you didn't think i had an answer no like french fries that's a salty food oh oh oh, yeah yeah yeah. no that's what made it interesting (laughs) she loves french fries but she can't stand overly salted fries okay that's a reasonable reason for her to bring up that she doesn't like salty foods Mm -hmm. does she acknowledge that it's maybe the most ironic thing in the world not in this that like snails die when they touch salt and we could tweet at her and see if uh, she'll acknowledge that i think this is gonna be the saddest miss of my life if this is about snails but i think it's true he thinks it's true of course you'd make it up but of course you'd find it right you had a lot of good information about the article and you clearly you could have just made up that this question was in there at all because it's not particularly about the 2010s well i told you we got out of that but i listed off a whole series of questions with answers that weren't about the 2010s at all yeah i don't know if any of them really existed oh if any of the questions yeah they were all made up the article's not even real how deep does the lies go it's just such a specific thing yeah would you have looked that far through an article to find a snail type fact i still think this is a fact it's gonna be just unbelievable if it's not true but go ahead lock it in for me oh but how can it be true this is 
Hold on. Oh, he's thinking about changing his mind. I'm putting the pressure on. Oh, I'm so torn because if it's true, you have to you have to include it. Like, there's no way you would have found that and not said it. But also, you could have just made it up, and it's the easiest thing to make up. It's almost beneath you as a spin. It's pretty beneath. <laughs> yeah. This is a spin. <laughs> oh, I almost changed it. I almost changed it. I can't believe it. I can't believe I missed this. You made it too believable. I have an infuriating detail for you. These are all about snails. What? <laughs> what? Yep. Hold on. Even the true one. Yeah, I knew this. It just also is true about her. I thought you were on the trail the whole time. I was gaslighting the crap out of you. I was on the snail trail. You were on the snail trail. What? You nailed that they have weird teeth. I had to act like I'd never seen snail teeth before. I knew you knew they had weird teeth. I literally Googled Lindsay Jordan weird teeth and found an article about how she broke dentist equipment. So that happened to be true. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But the weird teeth, I was so on it. And that was what threw me for the whole thing. Yep. Really? Because uh-huh. I knew the weird teeth was a snail thing, and it was true about her. Uh-huh. That's why I started with it, even though it's such a wild fact. I had to start with it to really throw you off. Also, snails are absolutely used in the creation of paper. I uh-huh. The paper industry typically uses snail shells as fillers to improve paper capacity. They are also using cosmetics for face powder, and snail shells are, serve as a reinforcement material for automotive connections. Shells. So I was barking up the wrong tree with, like, silk and... Yeah. excrement products i should have thought more about shells darn it and then snails are born with their shell it's not hard yet it's soft and it like gets hard as they eat calcium yeah much like babies who were born with this disease that is a fatty mass under the skin on the child's back that attaches to their spinal cord it's the biggest stretch but so you found a disease that was similar to the way that snails come out exactly i was like what i I literally googled that's that's awful (laughs) I, I googled babies born with lumps on their back like snails. <laughs> I can't believe this. And then, of course, snails hate salt. So I had to end with... Yeah, of course. Not even surprising. And, of course, I saved it for last. Especially as the paranoia was building with each fact. I was like, I gotta save this one for last. Because it's the most likely to be about a snail. They're all likely to be about snails, and I knew it. <laughs> oh, and I still only got one out of three right. I have one more infuriating detail for you. What? I came up with all of these this episode on the fly what you thought of them all on the spot uh, not necessarily that's why i was doing some frantic googling in between facts during facts and leading up to factor spin from the moment that you started t- telling connor about how you had a feeling there was going to be snail related facts just like gopher related facts i went I didn't even think about snail facts. Really? And immediately pivoted. So I had a whole other set of four facts that were all from this article that I kept referencing that's absolutely a real article. Yeah, of course it was. It had to be. And abandoned it all for the snails. And it's because you brought up the concept. So you've done this to yourself. I did. Wow. I'm shocked. 
I'm stunned. That was amazing. I think that's going on to the Factor Spin Greatest Hits playlist. It's a good one. The snails make it. That was wild. I'm just shocked that immediately you were like, snails have weird teeth. Oh, because they do. <laughs> I was like, man, he's onto it already. I had to gaslight you all. They'd be like, making it sound like you were being crazy for trying to make everything snail related. It's like, he's onto me. Yeah, I was. <laughs> wow. But yes, there's a species of snail's teeth that are five times stronger than spider's silk and can withstand extreme pressures that would turn carbon into diamond. And some snails have up to 20,000 teeth in their mouth. Whoa. So they got weird teeth. I can't believe this should have been about snails. It should have been a spin right away. I mean, it was. It was about snails. I know. It just wasn't. I mean, you still would have only 50 50 I would have felt a little better about it. Because that's really, that's the biggest, I think, gaslight moment of the episode. <laughs> Is that that one was true. Yep. Wow. That was a snail mail fail for me. That was SMF. Back like Twisted Sister. It's like so much fun, but... It means something else to Twisted Sister. Yeah, it means something else to you. Well, Mixtaper, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. I mean, you can ask for anything. doesn't mean you're going to get it. All right, Mixtaper, I'm kicking you off the call. I thought you were going to ask me to be your Valentine, but I mean, I guess, I guess I'll just go. Oh, no. Valentine's Day is over. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, was he crying? Yeah. Well, it's a shame. I'm, I didn't mean to make the Mixtaper cry, but... He really did me dirty there. Man, yeah, between that and the gophers, you've not been having good animal-related uh, factor spin rounds. Maybe that's your new weakness. I guess. I don't know. Can't tell what's true about animals and what's true about people. That's a horrible affliction to have. <laughs> but hi, welcome back to Connor. Let's talk about this album cover. Let's. It's very pinky and ready. Valentine's colors. I really like the fringe. Is it fringe? What's it called? The thing on her neck. Whatever <laughs> that is. Collar? It's some kind of fancy collar. It's an excellent decision. What a look. What a look. It's interesting. It is. I think it, it matches the album in vibe and intensity. I guess at the time that I listened to this, I hadn't really seen what she looked like. Uh-huh. And it's not what I pictured. No? <laughs> what did you picture? A snail? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I pictured, but it wasn't pink sports coat with fringy around the neck. She looks like... Okay, you know what she kind of looks like in this image? And it may be what she's going for. I don't know. It looks like the nerdy kid ready to go to prom. Oh, whoa. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know you know the image I'm picking up? Like stereotypical, like, yeah. like pop culture, like if like a TV show or a movie is doing a prom scene and like the, the kid comes and he's got like the, the suit and the and the flowers on and the it gives me it gives me nerdy prom vibes. Okay, I like that. And honestly kind of fits with the theme of like heartbreak and Valentine and you know, romance and falling out of love and introspection that kind of comes with that situation. I can see it. can definitely see it. But yeah, I guess we should talk about the 10 tracks that make up Valentine. I have listened to them all so much. I've been having this album on repeat for like an actual week, if not more. <laughs> and up first on the track list is, of course, the title track itself, Valentine. What'd you think? It also didn't open the way I expected it to. No? What do you expect it to open like? Knowing the name Snail Mail and the album title Valentine, having never seen her, maybe knowing some of the things you knew about her as a hockey player or a roller derbier. Yeah, yeah, well, I knew like that, and I, I knew some of her musical tastes, which was like indie rock, sure. emo grittiness and this isn't that like at all this isn't gritty this isn't emo this isn't rock it's a little rock no it's like a, <laughs> it's like an indie pop rock kind of thing yeah like once we got to the why do you want to erase me part 
like then I was like, okay, this is this is closer to what I was expecting. Still not quite as gritty as I was anticipating. No, but it got closer to what I was expecting. We got closer to Avril Lavigne vibes when we got hit that part. Oh, you're right. That's actually a great comparison. I think so too. I never thought about it, but I definitely can hear that, especially with some of like Avril's softer songs mm-hmm. that got to that point. Like I'm with you, especially comes to mind. Yeah, and that's not me saying I didn't like it. That's just me saying didn't expect it. Yeah. Well, actually, the part you mentioned, the chorus, was a late addition. Valentine was originally called Adore You before that chorus came about, and they came up with it in the studio. Whoa. Yeah, the demo of Adore You, the original Valentine, is on that recent EP that I talked about. So you can go hear what it kind of sounded like, uh, according to Snail Mail, super emotional and slow. And it is. So I think that chorus is a very necessary addition, and such a great one. Valentine is all about... A relationship that fell apart from one side. She's still kind of stuck on this person, but the feeling is absolutely not reciprocated. So she's just standing there waiting to be found again sometime when her ex changes her mind. It's really such an interesting concept. Apparently her mom's a lingerie model as well. Oh, interesting. Didn't know that. And they have a song in The Sims 4. What, Snail Mail? Yeah, apparently. Wow, that's awesome. (laughs) Is it one of those songs that got dubbed in Simlish? The Factor Spin Research Department is getting back to me a little late. Apparently. This is <laughs> what they are informing me. That's awesome. <laughs> it's such an ironic title to call this song Valentine and for it to be about a heartbreak in the one-sided way that it is. Like, you're still my Valentine, even though I may not be yours anymore. And she's talked about it. Actually, she's commented on a lot of these songs, which I love because we get so much extra insight. But she said... It's such a heartbreaking thing referring to someone as your valentine in a lost love type of way because I think there's nothing more tender and innocent. I think the hurt there is pretty relatable and when I came up with Darling Valentine, it kicked me in the guts in a way that felt right for the entire thing. I just knew immediately that the record was going to be called Valentine. And I could not agree more. I mean, listening to these 10 songs, I can't pick out any better title. Not one. The chorus is very catchy. Honestly. I kept getting the, do you, why do you want to erase me second in my head? Yeah. That specific run. It's a very catchy run. It gets stuck in your bones. Yeah, my bones. I think the chorus is one of the best parts of this song. And so I'm really glad that it was conceived and, and added. Darling Valentine is great. Love it. And according to the numbers, it's the most popular song on the album, Spotify play-wise. Who cares about those? I... <laughs> What? (laughs) Who are you? But yeah, also, I agree. I don't think it's my favorite song on the album at all. Well, not at all. No, that was just me. They're just me being silly because usually I'm the one that brings those up. Right. Well, I will say the one of my favorites, probably top three, if not higher than that, is track two. Ben Franklin. Yeah. Is such a good song. It's one of the ones that I was initially hooked on from this album. Loved it and still do love it. She wrote Ben Franklin after a 45-day trip to rehab in late 2020 that you may have remembered me telling Connor about earlier. Or, well, wait, wait. asking Connor about earlier. Wait, I'm Connor. What? Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you refer to me in the third person? No, I referred... I was talking to the audience on that one. Sorry. Oh, oh. I mean, they're here too, but later. Oh. <laughs> we are kind of behind the fourth wall here. Usually, in that scenario, you would have you might have remembered me telling you about earlier, and it would have worked for both the audience and me. But in that one, you specifically decided to cut me out of the conversation. I did. Sorry, I went... I did a little aside to the audience. Didn't inform you beforehand (laughs) but yes i did mention her her trip to rehab earlier she mentioned 
And because of that, it's a very personal, you know, subject for her. But she was kind of on the fence about putting the song on the record for a couple reasons, not least of all for how personal it was. But at the end of the day, she said, at the very least, if I'm putting this information out there, maybe it will encourage other people to not be ashamed to get help or talk about it. So it's kind of a track that's meant to remove the stigma a little bit around rehab and getting help and self-improvement. Now, Ben Franklin's a little bit different, I think, than every other track on this album. Just in its sound and its style and its attitude, I don't know if you got that. I mean, I don't know if you could have got that on one listen where it was the second track you heard. Yeah, a little hard to... Uh, what'd you think? I don't know how I felt about this one. Okay. Like, she did some interesting vocal stuff that I can't decide how I feel about. Sucker for the pain. Oh, it's one of my favorite parts on the record. Like, when she goes really high into almost her falsetto range, like on the I deserve it, uh-huh. I'm crazy, but don't act like you never met me. Yeah, that's rare. I just don't know how I felt about that. She's got such a strong lower range. Yeah. That's like her bread and butter. And a very whispery upper range so i don't know how i felt about it like i liked it from like a style like oh that was different but i also just don't know if it fit her style yeah well that's fair that's understandable i like a lot of the instrumentation and the production behind ben franklin i think it's really got a certain atmosphere to it that the other songs i mean have but on a smaller scale ben franklin is less of a sit in a cave with the oil lamp song and it feels more like i'm standing in a big empty room you know what i mean yeah but she i mean has acknowledged that also herself she said when i was making ben franklin i was like there's no way this is gonna fit on the album i'm just making this to be rogue (laughs) the lyrics are rogue the titles rogue the instrumentals pretty rogue i feel like it kind of spins out into its own universe for a little bit but i knew it was a song i wanted to make i felt like i needed to make a side project or something to put it out for a minute until i started connecting the dots to make it fit once i did it was definitely a relief and I'm relieved it made it to this album. I don't know what I would do without this song on this album. I, I do like it a lot. I just love the chorus. Sucker for the pain that you said you die. Want to leave a stain forever. Ah, it's so good. Also, fun fact, the music video features a 10-foot snake. Whoa! Mm-hmm. Headlock is up next. It's track three. And I think Headlock does this really interesting thing where we started with Valentine and had that big chorus to kind of break the flow. And then Ben Franklin was kind of a constant ebb and flow. Headlock is the first song that kind of holds our heads underwater for the duration, kind of in a headlock. I think this one takes you to a place, to a level, and traps you in it for the duration. Like we're stuck in this one without any kind of cathartic breakout moment or any kind of groove to ease the emotion. Headlock just kind of forces you to sit with it. And part of that is the way that it starts. I mean, immediately. There's no downbeat. There's no break before the instrumentals and the lyrics kick in. It's just, boom, instantly we're there. Yeah. I really love the guitar part in Headlock. (laughs) The thing I say a lot, but it's true. There's just that note that it hangs on that just keeps, like, picking at your brain in a funny little way that I really like. Yeah. I I liked Headlock, I think, more than Ben Franklin, which seems backwards for you. It is backwards for me, but not unexpected for you. Headlock is way more your kind of song i think yeah it's an interesting song in that the chorus is different every time and it's really only one line it's mostly a chorus and melody only drinking just to taste your mouth got you drifting in and out man enough to see this through man i'm nothing without you that's a great second chorus by the way it is it's a great chorus and then in chorus three we get man enough to see this through like chorus two but is it one more thing i won't get to do 
It's great. Very subtle little changes in there. Lindsay says, Headlock isn't about losing someone so much as it's about really losing myself in a relationship. I worked on that one at my parents' house. All the synth lines I did in my room on my mini lug, and I wrote all the lyrics sitting right there at my desk just sort of dipping my toes into the deep darkness. With that line, thought I'd see her when I died, I'm saying that the end goal of dying in this case would be to be reunited with this lost love. It came from a really dark spot that I was in. And it is really dark. Yeah. Can't get out. I'm tethered to a world where we're together. Oh, wow. Stuck in a headlock. Can't get away. And your head is locked on this relationship. I don't know. It's such a, a layered kind of song. I really like the instrumentation on Light Blue. Light Blue. Oh, track four. Light Blue slightly more popular than Headlock, according to the Spotify plays that no one cares about, but on the same track. I like the instrumentation better. With I'm with you on that. I like the finger-picked guitar. You know, it's very nice and, and floaty, airy in a way that the deep dark of Headlock just isn't. But I don't like the melody as much, especially on the verse. Really? The chorus is fine. Nothing's gonna stop me now. Nothing's gonna stop me now. Like, that's cool. The verses fall a little bit more flat than Headlock. This is, how'd you feel about the falsetto on Light Blue? It's one of the rare reappearances of it after Ben Franklin. I thought it worked better on this track. Do you think that's because the instrumentation lends itself more to that higher register? Yes, and I think it goes back to, I brought this up a couple times on the podcast. If you're gonna go to that falsetto-y range, male or female, you have to have the proper bass supporting you. Not like bass isn't like the instrument, just like mm-hmm. the proper support structure. Foundation. Foundation, yeah. The proper foundation of instruments or other voices under you, supporting you as you go up there. And I think that happens on this track where I'm not sure it did on Ben Franklin. Wow. I love the bass. The bass bass, not the foundation on Ben Franklin. Oh, okay. But interesting. It doesn't feel like it comes as much out of nowhere here. That's for sure. And it's not as in contrast. I think the rest of her voice and the rest of her vocals in this song are closer to the falsetto than on Ben Franklin, where she goes really low a lot more of the time. So the the jump is a little less jarring. Yeah, that's probably true. One of the things she said about Light Blue, and she said, I wrote it for a girlfriend. It feels like I was young at the time. I was 19, so 2018. She was born in 1999. And she said, even though it wasn't that long ago, in a way, it was. I guess I meant it to be a gesture, but also kind of a declaration. I don't remember it being a particular communicative relationship, but it was fiery. And I think that was my way of communicating my feelings at the time, and I think that comes through. And I do think it kind of has a quiet fire behind it. Not a bonfire, but a campfire. You know what I mean? It's not a a house on fire, but it's warm and comforting in the cold, and there's definitely like this passion behind it. Honestly, behind the whole album. I don't think there's a single moment where you can say, wow, she really didn't put much into this song. At least I don't feel that way. Yeah. I'm noticing a bit of a pattern, though, to like the cadence of her songs. Ooh. And I don't know how really to describe it, but it's kind of like a rhythmic tendency she has to put like pauses in between words in the middle of phrases. Okay. I think I can hear something like that, too. I think I can get that sense across a lot of different tracks on this album. And I don't know if it's pauses in between words so much, but it's, I think, in just the way that she writes, the way that the words interact with the rhythm and the melody lands emphasis on really interesting places. Not to mention, I mean, snail mail itself rhymes. We talked about, oh, we love rhyming names. There are not many rhymes on this album. She doesn't write in couplets or in in rhyming phrases. Yeah, which is kind of refreshing. Yeah, it is. And I think it makes you pay a lot more attention to the lyrics because you never know what twist or turn is coming next. You know, you can't 
ever predict a basic rhyme up ahead. But then when she does choose to use a rhyme, we can sail the ocean blue or just lie down, you know how I love you, then it lands even harder. I, I went and found an example. Of the pattern that you're talking about? Yeah. yeah so around like the 240 mark, she sings everything we do, everything we try, but she puts a pause in between those two. It's one phrase. It's one line in the lyrics. Everything we do, everything we try, but she goes, everything we do, pause. Everything we try, pause. So much destruction, pause. Look at what we did pause that was so real pause and you don't just forget pause and you're right it does it ebb and flows with the rhythm properly it makes sense to pause there but i've noticed she's doing that on a lot of tracks where the way she writes the instrumentation lends itself to a lot of pauses in the middle of phrases yeah i agree and i think that gives that album i mean the fact that she does it on every song a really good sense of cohesion i think all these tracks puzzle piece together really well or is it a sense of derivativity and not not different enough because sometimes you say that is derivativity a real word uh well i think that's a cool word but i like that i guess it could technically be maybe a little derivative but i think it's because sometimes on albums that you don't like as much you complain that it wasn't different enough that it was too much of the same thing and that's true but i think there's so much other different stuff happening around the melodies and the vocal rhythms that you don't notice it as much it's there but like underlying everything else that's going on but you know i've liked all the songs on this album so far the first time i ever picked up the album way back in 2021 ben franklin was was the hook track right nowadays when i listen to this album i think it's forever parentheses sailing that has hooked me hard this go round and previously one of my absolute favorites another top three easy and a lot of it is the way that she uses the guitar and it kind of hits in little short bursts between lyrical phrases that i just love plus lyrically forever is certified poetry you get such a good sense of of what's going on in these lyrics right from the jump I might have made a stranger out of you is such a raw line. You get that element of questioning whether it's true or not, right? I might have done it. You get that element of losing someone that you once cared about and making them a stranger. And, you know, you understand we're talking to this person. There's so much happening in that one little line right off the bat. And then she turns it back on herself. I'm stranger too. And then she talks about this potential secret clandestine love affair that's tearing them apart it's not my perfume on you you know am i obsessed does obsession become me what a line what a song i love you from the city to the stars is an excellent line nothing stays as good as how it starts i really cannot stress enough i mean lyrically this might be my favorite flat out why ben franklin maybe gets an edge musically but lyrically sailing fair enough 10 out of 10 sailing really genuinely might be my playlist pick wow as far as the chorus goes it actually borrows from Madeline Kane's song, You and I. Lindsay says, I heard it forever ago and I was just really moved. It has some magic that feels like I really feel. And I had never really dabbled in sampling, but I just couldn't stop thinking about being involved with the song somehow, selfishly. So I brought it into the studio in North Carolina and we isolated the sample and slowed it down. It's kind of a deep cut in a way and random that I heard it. I don't know much about disco at all. So this is one of the rare songs where an element, I guess, comes from something else, which is cool. I think that it still feels very much like her song, even though it brings in third party elements. 
I think it accents and emphasizes her perspective and her lyrics instead of, you said, being derivative or detracting from them somehow. Fair enough. Yeah. But up next, over the hump, over the halfway point of the album, it's Madonna. Madonna is not talking about the pop singer. Whoa. I know. Mind blown. Mm-hmm. Not really. No, I didn't think so. Madonna was the third single from the album, and it's one where Jordan particularly leans into her overarching concept, I think, that she talked about, I mean, just in relation to the whole album, about people loving people rather than the concept, right? She said Madonna is about putting someone on a pedestal and worshiping them and how that just doesn't translate into anything but resentment and anger once you step away from it. Because this person's never going to be all that you make them up to be in your mind. This person's never going to live up to the expectations that you put on them if that's the way you go about relating to them. If that's the relationship that you have to that person, they're always going to disappoint. Sure. This one, I wanted her to go a bit more on the gritty side. Really? I felt like her voice was a bit too soft to match the instrumentals. You know, that makes sense. I just wanted a little bit more bite to her voice. That's all. She was very still melodic and smooth. I just wanted a little bit of like passion, especially when you hit like the chorus. You wanted it to have more more bite more teeth more strong teeth yeah (laughs) i think actually some of the choruses are jarring in a good way on this song because instead of going big they go smaller and some parts like all the instruments drop out except for that guitar especially later later choruses just get to the core of body and blood lovers curse i guess for me it's more like when all the instruments really kick in like around the line around the block the judgment time like when that part Mm -hmm. kicks in, i just want her to have a little more passion a little more oomph to her voice and not still be so just mellow i don't know i feel like that would have been out of place on the album no 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 i just think it needed to be like line around the block you know like a little little oomph there not just line around the block you know i felt like it was too smooth for what because the instruments are going like bumble 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 you know they're like they're like kicking it up and she does not kick it up at all she keeps it the exact same as it was vocally sure it's like if you're gonna give me a little pump up with the instruments give me a little pump up with your voice i don't need you like out here going line around the blood like i don't need that i just (laughs) no we don't no one needs that i also really like the line i don't need absolution it just hurts yeah it's a good that's a, it's a good line that's the heart of the matter it's the matter on her heart yes it is <laughs> but also you'll notice right there body and blood pause lovers curse pause i don't need absolution pause it just hurts yeah it's there the ingredient you're right no salt little pause <laughs> Dash a pause. Yeah. Lindsay was actually raised Catholic, so she's pretty familiar with the use of Madonna as a symbol. She said, using religious metaphors and my knowledge from that time of my life felt exciting and genuine. I have a deep fear of being blasphemous. I don't want to disappoint my mom. But I don't think this song ventures into that territory. Although I guess you do open yourself up to intense feedback when you start to delve into religious imagery. (laughs) Up next is a song that, you know, has some mystery surrounding its title. It's C et al. Et al, of course, is Latin terminology for and all, like everything. Yeah. Like you would see on academic paper citations with multiple authors, right? Yeah. That part's familiar. But the C part has people divided. Yeah. Yeah. Some people say it could be circa, like around and all, all around, like all encompassing. Some people think it's an initial for someone's name. Super fans out there have posited that it could be the name of czar one of her friend's cats oh c-z-a-r yeah some people have also said maybe it's a disguised way to say 
see it all or Seattle. Either way, I can't give you a definitive answer, and I don't think anyone can aside from Snail Mail herself, but that's the song. That's what it is. I like see it all. I personally like all of those theories. I think it's fun when an artist gives us a little puzzle like this that doesn't necessarily need to be solved, and it can just be whatever we can make out of it. I'm subscribing to the see it all theory. See it all? Yeah, because I think it fits because, you know, at all mean like all, and then the phrase see it all fits well with the lyrics as well, right? Like saying that can't make sense of all the faces in her life and it's whirling around. She's buried in her problems. Like she's not able to see it all. It's all around her. Yeah, pulling down the blinds and sleeping through the dead of the night. Hating long drives and summer's ending. Yeah, sure. I love that. I think this song presents a cool structure change. Yeah. To this point, every song has had its verses and its choruses. See it all changes into just five straight verses. So if you go to kind of the end of the song, I mean, it's present elsewhere, but I just took note of it at about the 240 mark. She says, both buried in problems, baby, honestly. Mm-hmm. And like, there's like some intensity to her voice, right? She, the way she hits some of those words, it's not just the smooth, monotone, glossy lyrics that we had on the last track so that's kind of what i was referring to when i said okay i wanted a little more passion just a little something there a little spice you know not salt no although i guess she does like salty food because that was a spin is salt a spice salt is okay yeah absolutely salt is a spice anyway that's not an argument i want to have right now (laughs) how dare you i didn't assert anything i just asked (laughs) i wanted it be actually it might not be (laughs) the more i think about it because it's a rock yeah well i'm just thinking i guess it depends on your definition of spice what's a spice i don't know oh no it would not be considered a spice oh okay i stand you know what how dare i (laughs) and how dare you misclassify salt to me i guess salt would be a condiment but it's not a spice okay right I actually like a lot of the end of the song. She talks about baby blue, which kind of calls back to light blue for me. In verse three, she makes her first overt reference to Mia, the title figure of the album's closing song and arguably the album's climatic moment. I like that a lot. And also some of these scenes about whirling above routines and summer and long drives come from the experience she was living at the time. She said, I spent a lot of time riding it in the van on tour. I had a little portable amp that hooks up to headphones and I would just play it there because I don't like to come up with lyrics around other people. It's complex because I'd be sitting in the van for eight hours a day or something. So that's how we ended up with See It All. I love that guitar riff. It's simple, but it drives this song. It is the force behind everything that she sings and says. And I like that a lot. Never really gets old in the three and a half minutes the song lasts. But it's also a little refreshing when Glory starts and we get a little bit of distorted guitar. We get a little crunch. I want to talk about the lyrics on this one. On Glory? Yeah, hit me. You've been talking about how good the lyrics are. And I had a moment on this one that I really enjoyed lyrically. Okay. Is that the chorus? Uh. Yes. You sound a little unsure. Well, what's considered the chorus on this one? You owe me, you own me. Okay, yeah, then they have that part. (laughs) I could never hurt you, my love. Yeah. Specifically, just the use of owe, own, and no. Uh-huh. It's so simple, but so good. It is. Clean. That's a clean chorus. And the way she sings it, right? It's not just that the lyrics are good. It's that the way she sings the lyrics are good. Because if I didn't have the lyrics in front of me, it actually would have honestly been maybe on a first pass. I would not have noticed. She. I would have maybe just thought she said, you owe me twice. 
I wouldn't have realized she said, you owe me, you own me. She sings it very similarly. Mm-hmm. And then to follow it with the you know me after, good use, good use of lyrics. Totally is. I like that a lot. And again, to your earlier point about pauses in lyrics, you want it all pause superstar yeah <laughs> and it happens verse after verse after verse uh-huh it's wild when it gets cold pause we'll move to Malibu. Malibu. <laughs> you're right also glory is kind of another nod to religious imagery not necessarily as overtly mm. as madonna it is called glory and the second line is jesus died just to save you yeah so it's there <laughs> it's there. obviously very present but it's not as overt as calling the song madonna and singing like that but it's also a song about being too far gone for something that might feel like everything at the time but quickly turns to nothing some could argue it's more overt well that's true because i mean non-religious people will recognize glory as like if you took somebody who wasn't religious and showed them all these tracks i think they would pinpoint glory before madonna that might be true you might be right actually Lindsay compares it herself to madonna she said very angry and upset vibes and similar thematically to madonna goes with the same grieving process and theme of anger it's disenchanted it's like no matter how angry i am and no matter how much i try to make this something where i'm in control and i'm the one making demands at the end of the day i still would do anything for the subject of the song no matter how in control i feel i don't even feel like i belong to myself because i'm so entwined in this person's life which is a pretty helpless state to be and i mean to put that in the context of you own me and you know me like you just lose all sense of self in that person and it's the same kind of thing that would happen if you were putting them on that pedestal and worshiping them like madonna totally spot on the religious imagery songs are very comparable what do you think about automate it's never a song that i expect to sound the way it does based on title alone yeah it's another one where I feel like I really like the instrumentals that are going on, yeah. but her singing isn't supported by them. They feel disconnected, especially because she, she'll hit a couple notes down on her lower strong register and then bring it up to that higher point and it gets a bit wispy again, mm. especially on like automate me. Like it go, like she's down here on automate, but then up here for me or you got so mean and she like goes up on mean, but the instruments are still just right and there's like no support there on it. So I kept getting, I didn't feel like the singing vocals jived with the lyrics in the way i wanted them to because of that okay it is interesting because on the verses every time she sings all the guitar parts cut out and we're left with drums for a bit on that first verse yeah and then the guitar builds us back into the second phrase yep and then it cuts out again and it's this constant tug of war kind of between those two intensity levels yeah and the vocals don't pick a side they just try to ride it out in the middle i mean i guess she had a very long quote about automate she said i think that there comes a time when through experience and through messing up and learning about my needs and myself love becomes less of a fantasy and less of a game there's so much that needs to exist for love to be healthy and once you realize that relationships are more than what you imagine them to be as a teenager and a kid it just becomes a lot more loaded like love real love is unconditional in a perfect world and is loving somebody beyond the good stuff being in love with someone is taking them where they're at and having them take you where you're at and that's the brutal truth being uncovered in that song it's not all about passion and fire so while we had passion and fire songs like light blue this song kind of digs into more than that and i love the way that she does it through this turn of phrase automate me and i'll never find a love like this as in if you give me love in a way that i don't have to actively pursue it 
then it can never be this deep and this real and this good, which is, I think, conceptually one of the best moments on the album. Just that sentiment that she hits at in Automate is unparalleled anywhere else. It's something you have to work for, and if you don't have to work for it, it's going to be inauthentic. I love that. Actually, she called the outro to Automate her favorite part of the entire album. Do you agree with that? I guess I couldn't keep her fire out, and I'm like your dog. Mm. Automate just didn't do it for me. No, not any of it. Really? Eh. Guess it wasn't your favorite part of the album then. But the song that closes the album is, I mentioned it earlier, but I think it's still true. Probably the climactic moment of the album. Mia feels like the album is hitting its peak right at at the very end isn't it strange the way it's just over because we get this massive moment that's probably the most emotional track outright on the whole album and then it just stops and then we're left this is the moment where we're left sitting in the dark cave with nothing but our breath and our heartbeat to contemplate everything we've just experienced yeah you know this whole kind of loose concept album has been songs to and about the person that she's been in a relationship with and this last track is this ultimate moment where she realizes oh it's really truly finally irreparably over yep and all these emotions that we felt and heard and experienced over the past nine tracks just get slammed into this wall of oh my gosh none of those things that i've been grappling with matter all the all the experiences we shared and the love that we had and all the stuff that i've been dealing with is the past and it's not coming back to be the way that it was i think she put it really well herself when she said mia to me represents the feeling when you break up with someone and then you wake up the next day and for a second you forget that it happened and then you remember it's like oh no it's the sonic manifestation of that horrible day after feeling she said it's almost a rude way to leave people at the end of it but i didn't want it anywhere near the beginning near darling valentine right she said it's this horrifying it is what it is song that wraps up the stages of grief naturally and subconsciously and i think that's just it bingo that's exactly what this song does and it sneaks up on you i don't think the gravity of mia really sets in until you really like think about it maybe that's what my problem was you didn't really think about it did you not like it this is the ballad of ballads i really enjoyed the instruments Mm -hmm. yeah this is the song that had 10 extra strings yeah it was really cool instrumentally vocally it was fine she had passion in her voice it wasn't i was complaining about earlier lyrically it was good it just didn't connect with me. Huh. I wonder why that is. Like, I could tell everything it was trying to do, and it was doing it technically very well. It's just, it wasn't there. I don't know. Yeah, I guess if it wasn't there for you, it wasn't there for you, but it was there for me. Oh, man. Actually, per the instrumentation, she talked about how Me is the only song with a full orchestra on it. I do wish she had more of the full orchestra. I really enjoyed it. I know. It feels like it would fit a lot of this album maybe that's something she'll return to in future projects but maybe not maybe it's a situation where it's better to be used sparingly she said they originally sent the song to someone to have it arranged professionally but she said when they got it back i wasn't crazy about the arrangement so i played some of the arrangement myself on a synth and sent it back and was like can i hear this and she said that synth line that she played got translated into an orchestral movement and she said it was one of the best parts of the song she called it super collaborative but that's the last song that's all 10 wow it is time once again for final spin on valentine 
I think if you really, really, really closely listen to this album, if you're super involved, if you, you know, put on your bone headphones and sit in your cave, I feel like it's like going into a trance for half an hour. It's a really captivating kind of album. It's got a lot of emotional, lyrical depth, a lot of interesting and unexpected turns of phrase, especially, like, once again, bolstered by missing rhymes. I like that a lot. I, personally, I'm just really, really impressed by the quality and the maturity of the songwriting, by the raw emotion, by the production. I think Valentine is the whole package in a lot of ways, and I really enjoy it. Musically, I'm giving it a 92. That's it. I just like a lot of these melodies. I like the consistency of the the breaks between phrases and whatnot. Fair enough. I think she plays to her vocal strengths very, very well with the melodies that she chooses, but all of them are very memorable in their own ways. Even if it's just the way that you remember a phrase because of the way it was sung, like, why you want to erase me, you just remember it because of the melody. Yep. Lyrically, 89. We've talked a lot about the lyrics. I like them a lot. Instruments of production, 91. There are some curveballs in here, but I don't think we ever get curved out of the flow of the album. And she's the 242nd best guitar player in the world. What's not to love about instrumentals? Overall vibe, 90. I like the loose concept. I like the heartbreak record style. I like the just general way that it is, I guess. So yeah, overall score is getting a 91.6. And it's ending up on my ranking spreadsheet at number 60. Number 60. Top 100, but not quite top 50. Yeah, not quite top 50. That's true. As a matter of fact, it is sandwiched directly between Childish Gambino's Awaken My Love from episode 80 and Kings of Leon's Walls right below from episode zero, which is really interesting. Walls got a 91.5, so it's one-tenth of a point below. But Childish Gambino got the same 91.6, and it actually was a tiebreaker on the instruments in production, as a matter of fact. So that's what put Awaken My Love just a tiny, tiny little bit above Valentine for me. Also interesting, as far as 2021 albums go that I've ranked, Halsey's If I Can't Have Love, I Want Power, and Kings of Leon's When You See Yourself are the only two 2021 records I've ranked higher so far. Hmm, Wow. I know. So it's a stellar record. Remember when I said all those places named it the top three record of 2021? I guess it was for me too. (laughs) But I'm really curious to hear where it landed for you. Sometimes these unknown artists that you're coming in totally blind on are big wins, and sometimes they're big losses, and I feel like this one's walking a tightrope straight down the middle. Do I get all my picks this week? Yes, you do. I think I've contradicted myself. How do you mean? I think I said something during the track-by-track analysis that I'm now going to invert. Whoa, you're backtracking. I think. I don't remember if I said it about track two to track three or track three to track four, but we'll get there. This album, I enjoyed it. I thought you would, yeah. wasn't a stinker. That's good. I didn't expect it to be a stinker. I mean, this is a lot of like ballady songs, emotional songs. I see why you really like it. It fits your vibe. Yeah, it does, I think. I don't think it fits... It's my normal listening vibe, though. It's like what I said on Mia. Technically, it's doing everything correct. Ballads and good instruments and interesting lyrics. Mm-hmm. But there's a disconnect that I had, at least on my one listen. Maybe it'll that'll change. Maybe I just wasn't right in the right headspace. You know, I was using a lamp instead of a gas lantern or whatever she said. So maybe that threw me off. <laughs> maybe it did. Maybe it was the bones. Maybe. Maybe it was the bones. I mean, I've listened to other ones with the bones, and it's been fun. What are you contradicting? Uh, we'll get there. What are, you, what are you walking back? I'm giving this one. Oh, scores. I'm giving this one seven broken dentist drill bits out of ten. <laughs> 
seven, really. I think that's more or less my expectations. I mean, I said it was somewhere on the line between something you really liked and something you really didn't, and I think seven represents that. Now, where in the sevens does it go? Yeah, it's going to go right above Childish Gambino, right below the band. Oh, now that's really interesting because I put Childish Gambino right above it. Yeah, I had to go listen to uh, a couple of the tracks on Childish Gambino to figure out how I felt. Yeah, what did it? What was the deciding factor? As I was just clicking on the tracks to start them, I couldn't remember most of them. Well, in fairness, it's been 50 weeks. Yeah. It's been a year. So I did this. I did this for Olivia Rodrigo, the band, Childish Gambino, and Ingrid Andrus. And like Olivia, I was hitting, I was like, oh yeah, banger, 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 you know? And then the band, I was like, across the great divide, divide. you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know some of them. And then I hit Childish Gambino, I was like, eh, eh. Uh, oh, I kind of recognize that one. Uh, uh. Stay woke. And then Ingrid Andrus actually uh, recognized a lot of those. But the fact that I kind of hit the wall at Childish Gambino, I was like, I guess that's where it goes. Well, you know, that makes sense. That's a, a good enough way to do it. It's your rankings. Your choice. Yeah. I despise playlist picks this time. Yeah? Yeah. What, what do you want for the playlist? Well, I gotta give you my top three first. Of course. In album order valentine wait what are you backtracking on did we get to that yet no we're getting there okay because the reason i keep bringing it up is because i think we're just likely to forget about it and i want to make sure that's addressed no i haven't forgotten about it don't worry you're gonna leave the audience hanging in album order valentine don't erase it headlock oh uh, i agree it's a good song but the skips yeah no, i skipped ben franklin and here's what i don't remember i made a comment and i don't remember if i said i, I maybe i didn't backtrack did i say i liked light blue better than headlock you did i think because i'm giving light blue my honorable mention which is backwards from what i said oh but when trying to rank my top threes i think i think light blue gets honorable mention okay and then my final top three pick number four and my top three forever oh yes good wow so the back half of the album got no love yeah and that's what kind of held it down in the sevens i think it was in eight territory and then it kind of slipped on the back half that's interesting because madonna and glory are two of the biggest songs on the album i know well i don't need absolution it just hurts you know (laughs) so what's your playlist pick from those four almost the first four songs on the album you just skipped ben franklin yeah you said you're going with forever right forever would be one of my picks ben franklin i would really love to be the other one but obviously i can't expect you to pick that i think i'm picking valentine i think i'm picking the title track Okay. It's either that or Headlock. I don't fault you for that. Headlock's really grown on me just over the course of the episode. Yeah. But Valentine has that great chorus hit where it's got that passion to it. Mm-hmm. With that Avril Lavigne section to it in the chorus that I kind of talked about. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going Valentine. Okay. It's such a hard decision. Ben Franklin is the third most popular song on this album. Forever, to say it one way, is not. We're not picking what's most popular. We're picking what your favorite is. I know. I think sailing just has this quality to it. I mean, we talked about how Ben Franklin kind of stands out and and stands on an island a little bit from this album in terms of the way it sounds and is produced. Yeah, it's not really representative of the album. It's not. And if I'm picking a representative track of this album, Forever has some excellent lyrics. And it's got those pauses that we talked about. It's got instrumental flow, like builds nicely. I think I'm going to take Forever. All right. 2021 me that listened to this album and loved Ben Franklin would be disappointed in 2024 me that's shifted perspective. But you know what? That's, That's growth. Well, luckily... 
2021 you is dead. Long live 2024, James. Well, man. <laughs> May his reign last a full year. Actually, his reign's going to last a little longer because of Leap Year. I mean, it's still just a full year. Which is coming right up, by the way. Leap Year. Next episode is our closest episode to Leap Year. Yeah. It's the one time that you get the extra day. But that's going to do it for this Valentine special. I'm pretty happy with that. This was a fun episode, and man, this album can finally exit my brain. <laughs> Maybe. Happy late Valentine's Day, audience. You're all my Valentines. Cute. Only if you're listening, though. Well, they won't know if they're not listening. Yeah, which is why they're not my Valentine. Why do you want to erase them? For glory. Nice. Can't argue with that. It was either erase them or 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 put them in a headlock (laughs) until they turn light blue. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's not good. Tell them where they can listen to more of us if they're stumbling across us for the first time. Yeah, if you're finding us for the first time, you can find us everywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you want more Spinit content, you can find us on social media where we'll post pictures of snail teeth and snail mail teeth, maybe. At Spinit Pod, official on Instagram, at Spinit Pod on X and on the web at www.spinitpod.com for all the Spinit content, bonus and otherwise. And be sure to tell a friend. Tell a friend who... Has really strong teeth. Yeah, tell your strongest toothed friend about the podcast this week. As always, don't tell them why. Let them figure that out when they listen. But tell them about it. Yeah, just tell them about it and don't let them know that they're the friend with the strongest teeth. Just keep them guessing. And we will see you next week for another exciting episode that's going to dent the year of healing, I expect. But that's okay. Sometimes healing is just about understanding where you're coming from. Who said that? Who are you quoting right there? Me. Fair enough. I think I made that up. (laughs) I don't know. Either way, tune in next week to hear us say more things. And until then, keep keep spinning. spinning! Fact check. When was she born? 1999. I'm excited that next week is going to be a non-special episode. Yeah, we've had a lot of special episodes in a row here. I mean, we've kind of done three in a row here. We did Gopher Day, and then we did Grammy Day, and then we did Valentine's Day. Yeah, and now we're doing Leap Day. And I think next episode is going to be the most unspecial episode we've ever done. It's going to be so normal. And in its own way, that makes it special. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs>